It is my honor to introduce to you Tammy Bronneman. We're wrapping up our Stories from the Seats series this morning, and uh, we get so much feedback about this series, and there's lots of reasons why, but I think one reason is uh, because we have this realization that, the, that God, the God who placed the sun and the moon in the sky, is at work in the lives of people uh, just pursuing and inviting and comforting, um, and that these people that share their stories are just like us. They're in process. They haven't arrived. They're learning to lean on Jesus for his power, for his comfort, for his compassion, for his grace, like you'll hear in Tammy's story. Uh, Tammy is a teacher at Southdale Elementary School here in Cedar Falls. She has her master's degree in education. She's a reading teacher, and if you have even a few seconds to stop and talk to Tammy about her job, about teaching, her face lights up. She starts talking about her kiddos, and it's really clear that Tammy is in the right place to use her gifts and her talents um, as a teacher. Tammy also is married to John over here, and they have three great kids together. And uh, when you listen to Tammy's story, you hear over and over and over again how much she loves her family and her loyalty. And you'll hear how Tammy has been able to see over the years the fingerprint of God on the people in her life who've brought her comfort, who've um, been her role models. And uh, so just... I hope you really enjoy Tammy's story. It's a hard one. It takes a lot of courage to tell, uh, but it's good. So take it away, Tammy. Thank you. Make sure you get comfortable here. Good morning. Thanks for coming in this weekend and taking time out of your schedule to be here. I am Tammy Broneman, a child of God, wife, mother, and teacher. I was the third and final baby girl born to Lester and Edith Youngblood in Raymond, Iowa. My oldest sister was 14 years old when I was born and became a second mom to me. If she wanted to go somewhere, it often required taking me, her puppy dog tail, with her. She could have begrudged me for this, but didn't. The love she showed for me only multiplied when she married and had her own children. As a child, I learned the importance of weekly church attendance, to give to church, to strongly value family, and a good work ethic. I'm grateful to have grown up with a belief in God and being connected to a church. We prayed before meals at home. Weekly we went to church, always sitting in the second to last pew. What brings me up here today, I haven't figured out yet other than God's grace is with us. We prayed before meals at home. Um, I went to Catholic school, but our faith in God were not talked about. The message that I received growing up was that I was to pray, but not profess or share my faith. In junior high, I made a new friend, Colleen, and I learned from Exodus chapter 15, verse 2, the Lord is my God. And I will praise him and exalt him. Her family taught me I did not need to hide my faith. I became an active member of our school liturgy committee and was proud to be a Christian. However, I now know that doing church still doesn't mean you have a strong faith. 
My life verse is from Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God wants me to love and put my trust in him. In college, I was provided with my first of many opportunities to practice this lesson. I began my college education to be a teacher at UNI. I went to school full-time and worked. While working, I met my first husband, Irv Frost. We started dating, and within a month, he asked me to marry him twice. The first time, I told him no. I knew I loved him, but he wasn't in my plan. My plan was to finish college, get a job, get married, and then begin a family. Oh, and did I mention in my plan my husband was not going to be 17 years older than me? I love to be in control, and I forget that God has a plan for me. My mother liked to be in control, too. And upon the news of our engagement, she was not happy. Irv was from the other side of the tracks and way too old for me. She hardly spoke to me for three weeks. My dad just sat and cried. I had made them so sad. They were concerned that I would not finish college, and they were certain that I was making a huge mistake. Eventually, my mom's pride did get the best of her. She would not have her daughter marry without a proper wedding. So she threw herself into wedding plans and helping Irv clean and paint the home we would be living in. This was God at work. He changed my mom's heart toward Irv, and she was able to see how much he cared for me. We were married on August 13, 1988. I was 20 years old. A year and a half later, we welcomed our first child, our beautiful little princess, Samantha. And in October of 93, we completed our family with Ryan, who always makes us smile. We enjoyed our life together and spent many evenings and Sundays with our parents. But rarely did we make time for God. We were holiday Catholics. I lived in shame and felt guilt over this. I was teaching religion class in a Catholic school, encouraging my students to attend church as I had been taught, but I wasn't going myself. Wow, what a hypocrite I was. Magdalene, my mother-in-law, was a model of faith. She raised ten children with very little money or support. Magdalene often worked outside the home to provide for her hungry family. Like the poor widow in the Bible who offered only a few cents, Magdalene always gave to God and her family out of poverty. You couldn't visit her that she wouldn't offer you a Pepsi, something to eat, money, or all three. I've never met a more generous person in my life. She modeled love and positive thinking daily. I had 28 years of living in a safe and sheltered world. Now it was time for a new lesson. From the book of Romans, there will be difficult times in life, but God will be beside me and help me to find hope. December 6, 1996, my father suffered a massive stroke. The relationship with my parents changed forever. It was time now for me to parent them. At 28, 
I found myself spending every minute of my life being overwhelmed. The kids were two and six. I was teaching full-time, completing courses for my master's degree, and caring for my parents. When I look back on this time, God, my husband, and my sister were what kept me going. At this same time, Irv was diagnosed with walking pneumonia. He never complained and continued to pick up the slack with the kids while I helped my parents. In May, my dad was well enough to come home, but my world was falling off a bigger cliff. Irv was still ill and had an appointment with a pulmonologist. At the appointment, it was confirmed that he did not have pneumonia, but a large mass in his right lung. I remember sitting there saying, those damn cigarettes. I was sure that this was the cause of the mass. To my dismay, the pulmonologist said it might not be the smoking that had caused this. I didn't care. I needed something to be angry at. In June, Irv had surgery to remove the tumor and several lymph nodes. The lymph nodes farthest from the lung came back cancer-free. Doctors were optimistic, and Irv began radiation treatments. I was watching the difficult recovery of my husband, the rapid aging of my parents, and I did not feel optimistic. Irv was turning to God and began to pray daily. We were attending church, and I was still teaching in a private school. I remember sitting with my students and listening to a sermon during a weekly children's liturgy about faith. The director of religious education shared that having faith in God means trusting in him even when you don't understand his plan. Tears silently fell down my cheeks, for at that moment in time, I had hit a wall and didn't have faith. I didn't trust God's plan, and I really wasn't even sure if I believed there was a God. During this time, life was filled with peaks of false hope, false hopes, and valleys of more illness. In August of 98, Irv reached a big milestone, one year cancer-free. He was constantly fatigued, but he had hope. In October, he collapsed at work, and they discovered that he had cancer in the small intestine. Six months later, after surgery to remove the tumor and chemotherapy, they declared him cancer-free again. One month later, Irv felt nauseated. The kids cried, and they didn't want Daddy to go to the doctor. They were afraid he would have to go to the hospital. They were right. The new scan showed cancer everywhere in the abdomen. The doctor told me Irv would die. I had no idea how I could tell my own husband he was dying. I didn't. A week later at Mayo, the doctors told him. I can remember walking out into the waiting room and just crying. My amazing husband turned to me and said, It's okay. I got two more years than I thought I would. He was grateful to God for each day he had. I privately turned my anger towards God. I wanted more. Irv chose the treatment that should give him one more year. He quickly began to feel better. He was always hoping for the best and didn't share his diagnosis and didn't want to share his diagnosis with others. I wasn't sure that we should wait to tell family, but I wanted to support Irv's decision. Besides, 
There never seemed to be a good time to share the news. I didn't want to cloud our good days. And on bad days, it would have been too much to ask of Irv. On July 8th, only three months later, I was certain that Irv had suffered a stroke. We went to the hospital to find that the cancer had spread to the brain. It was time to tell our families. I was surrounded by family and shared the diagnosis. The person that I dreaded telling the most, besides my kids, was Irv's mom. No one should have to see their own child die. But amazingly, she was so strong. It had to be her faith in God. Too bad I had not yet learned to put my fears aside and trust in him. She was, of course, sad, but still so brave. In the end, she knew her son was going to a better place and that Jesus was our Savior. I spent the next 11 days dividing my time at the hospital and with the kids. Irv had moments of consciousness where he always assured me that the kids and I would be okay. On the evening of July 19th, I left the hospital to tuck my kids in bed and return later. As I was reading to the kids, I got a phone call to return to the hospital immediately. I left my kids at home crying in the arms of a friend. As I rode on the elevator, I knew in my heart Irv had taken his last breath. I ran down the hall to see the nurse walking out of the room. She looked up and saw me, and she just shook her head no. I had never hurt so much in my life, and I never wanted to feel that pain again. The rug on my future had been pulled out from under my feet. The next day was again painful sharing the news with Samantha and Ryan that their dad was dead. I shared the book What's Heaven by Maria Shriver. I relied on this to try and explain things to my kids that I certainly didn't understand and wasn't even sure that I believed in. So Samantha felt like I wasn't honest with her and that I had prevented her from being with her dad when he died. Truth was, I wasn't with Irv or my kids. I was stuck in an elevator. I was angry that God had not allowed me to be present for Irv's last breath. I now believe that God chose that moment. It would have been too hard for Irv to die in my presence. And God knew that I needed time to grieve alone before facing my children. This was just the beginning of juggling my needs with my children's needs in the grieving process. During the next week, time was consumed with funeral activities. I spent most of the time trying to stay composed avoid eye contact, receive sincere condolences from many, and being frustrated by some of the stupid things people can say at a funeral. When the funeral lunch was finished, so was I. All I wanted was to go home and be alone. The next year was filled with great sadness. I never knew when the kids or I would have our grief triggered. These ranged from Ryan crying that Daddy was getting wet on the night of the funeral when it rained, to the smell of coffee, to holidays, or ringing in the new millennium when I really just wanted life to be over because I felt like it was. Throughout all of this, God was there caring for me. I just couldn't see it. 
God spoke to me through many people, but most of all, my sisters and my children. Here I was, 31 years old, and I found myself being a puppy dog tail again. Marge and her family were always there to lift both me and my children up. My children gave me a reason to survive and get out of bed each day. I can't imagine what my life would have been like if I had not had the gifts of Samantha and Ryan. My other sister always seemed to know when to pop in. One Saturday, she arrived when I was cleaning out Irv's closet, and somehow she managed to help me organize it all, and eventually she made beautiful memory quilts for each of the kids and myself. After the first couple of months and the shock of the initial grief wore off, I was ready to turn back to God. My anger at God hadn't gotten me anywhere. During this time, I went back to doing church, what I always knew. I was going through the motions and began to pray again out of desperation. I was seeking to find the proof that there was a caring God, that there was a heaven, and that I would see Irv again after death. These were not answers that I found quickly, but I was trying to find my way forward through Christ. For the next three years, I worked hard at grieving. I wanted to stop the pain and never feel it again. I was sure that if I kept reading the books, writing in my journal, attending grief groups and counseling for both myself and my kids, we would get over this horrible, awful pain. I remember a couple times during the first year of grief, people telling me that I should marry again and not spend the rest of my life alone. I was pretty certain that they were all crazy, and there was no way I was going to love someone and risk hurting that badly again. After two and a half years, my kids and I had begun to find a new normal. But I also knew that I wanted more. I just wasn't sure what would that would look like. Soon, I began to date. I was anxious about how I would feel and how my kids would react. For me, it was great to hear from someone that I looked nice. My eight-year-old son saying, You look pretty today, Mommy, just didn't cut it. Even more, I enjoyed adult conversation that wasn't about the latest Disney movie. The kids liked seeing me happy, and they liked getting Mom out of the house. But they really missed their dad. Soon, I met John Broneman. We immediately connected. We were both widowed, and we were relieved to find someone that understood we will always have a love for our first spouse, but can still love another. As happy as I was, and as much as I wanted to begin this new life, I was terrified. My fear was so great that after we were engaged, I met with my grief counselor. She began by asking me some really tough questions. And she said, so you regret that you married Irv? And I'm like, no, no way. I was very defensive. I knew I loved Irv, and we had two beautiful children from that marriage. And she said to me, so you don't regret the time you had with Irv, but you're willing to sacrifice loving someone else again because it hurt? I knew she was right, and that I had to put away my fear of possibly loving someone and losing them and accept that I wanted this new life. So on June 11, 2005, John and I joined our families in marriage. 
Shortly after we were married, Michael was playing in the backyard right out here, backs up to church, and he found a Bible story that had blown across. He brought it in asking his dad what it was. John started speaking to Michael and realized that at five, our son did not know about God. He'd been so busy grieving, raising Michael alone, and building a new life that he hadn't shared any religion with his son. We knew this had to change. John had been born and raised Lutheran, and I was Catholic. I wanted to find a church we could attend as a family. After many invitations and the Bible story coming here, we thought it was a sign and we should start here in our own backyard. We loved the service so much that we decided to try it the next week as well, and we've continued to attend since. At first, we were convinced that somehow Orchard had hidden a microphone in our home. How else could they know what we needed to hear each week? It was exciting to sit in church and for the first time understand how the Bible passages applied to my daily life. While John and I grew in our love for each other and our family grew in a relationship with God, we also faced daily challenges as we blended our family. Samantha early on was able to admit that it's nothing against John, but it's just not her dad. Ryan was going to be an ally to his sister and didn't want to show his love for John. The best part of this was that these two kids did become very close, and to this day, They view each other as a friend. I was fortunate that Michael was younger and accepted me more easily. The day we got married, he even made the choice to call me mom. Both John and I have had in-laws from our first houses that have accepted our marriage and welcomed our entire family into theirs. I know that this has not happened without pain for them. I'm certain that Angie's mother is thrilled that Michael has another mom to love him. But I know this is bittersweet, and she wishes that love could be provided by her own daughter. While we honor our first spouses and try to share memories of them as often as possible and continue to have photos of them on our memory wall, we all still grieve. Our home is filled with patterns of grief, times of year or events that heighten our level of grief. We try to be sensitive to one another's needs while not allowing grief to be an excuse. In addition, we see each other, we see each of our children grieve in new ways as they reach new milestones in their life. We have similar challenges of all parents, but find them complicated by dealing with surges of grief. If there was one wish that I could have, it would be to take this pain away from our children. While I can't do this, I continue to offer my prayers to God daily. I know he'll be there with them. When I turn to God at these frustrating and challenging moments, I'm always reminded I'm not perfect, but yet God shows me grace every day, multiple times a day. His forgiveness strengthens my faith and desire to show grace to others around me. Since our marriage in 2005, We have been a witness to both rails of life. We have switched jobs, began new businesses, adapted to physical limitations, watched our children mature, and witnessed the death of more loved ones. John and I had the privilege of meeting 100 grieving families by facilitating grief groups. This gave us the opportunity to exchange stories, 
Grief shared is grief diminished. After a while, I became restless with my faith. I felt as the orchard wasn't spiritually feeding me. Remember the microphone I thought orchard had in my home? They heard me again. And they had a sermon about how we have to feed ourselves. So for the first time in my life, I was taking time out of my day to deliberately spend time reading and reflecting on God's word. As the shock, sorrow, and struggle started to fade, and I was ready to surrender, sanctify, and serve, I found myself referring to Timothy. Train yourself to be godly. God blessed me more and provided role models of faith for me. My first model is my friend Shelly. She began an informal prayer group and has invited me to attend Bible studies. Remember when I was seeking to know if heaven was real after Irv died? I found my proof in one of these studies. God has given me an abundant eternal life. Another model was John's mom, Shar. She reads devotionals daily, and every time I enter her home, I see her Bible open on her table. This was something I was lacking. I'm so glad that I have Shar as a model of how this can be done. I need to take time to pray and listen to God. My desire to have a personal relationship with God is burning strong. The Journeys class this year and my models have given me the courage to begin a prayer group in our school. There is power in courage and community. Peter's words, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Help me to stay focused. During the past 11 years, I have to remind myself that I can't change others or control every situation but I can pray and love each member of my family for the good things in each of them and continue to be a model to them. I'm still learning about showing grace to others. I'm learning to not fear and try to control things that God will take care of for me. I now know that I must engage in the struggles to get to the other side. I am definitely a work in progress. I'm certain God is not done with me yet. I do not know exactly what my mission is, but it is up to me to listen to God and use the talents he has blessed me with. I've spent a large part of my life grieving loved ones, but I have learned grief is not who I am. It is now time for me to take what I've learned and find the good in it to move forward and serve. I encourage everyone to examine the lessons you have learned and use your God-given talents to do the holy to do the work the holy spirit is bidding of you in your daily life finally never forget god will always be there for you he is not the cause of the strife in our life but you know what he will bring us through it thank you All right, thank you so much, Tammy. Would you all join me in prayer? God, thanks so much that uh, even though you're awesome in power, that you uh, that you put the stars and the moon in place, 
that you are the kind of God who cares for your creation and you care for each and every one of us. Thank you for the way that you have worked in Tammy's life through sorrow and pain and also through uh, her struggle with you when she was angry and uh, wasn't sure that you were even real. Thank you for pursuing her, placing people in her life who could show love and compassion and patience and peace things that that are just a reflection of who you are and thank you now that tammy uh is drawn into your life that she knows that you have always been with her that you give her power and that thank you that she's learning uh to reflect that power out onto her family even uh the tough job of blending a family uh who's lost so much and thank you so much for that piece of paper that blew into their backyard and that they're now a part of, of our family here at Orchard Hill. Uh, thank you for being always present. Thank you for being always powerful. And thank you for giving us the chance to tell the story of how you're at work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.